Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Coming up on Forum, I'm Priya David Clemens in for Mina Kim. It turns out one of the easiest ways to protect our planet and its people is by returning to a practice that's thousands of years old, but getting new life with a new name, upcycled foods. We'll learn about some of the young, innovative companies finding ways to make food treasures out of the industry's trash, discuss tips for reducing waste at home, and explore the stunning impact that improving food usage can have on planet Earth. That's coming up on Forum right after this news. Hello and welcome to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens, in for Mina Kim, who has a well-deserved week off. Today, we are talking about food waste. There are many different ways to measure the problem, but the results all boil down to the same essential fact. Whether it happens before it gets to the supermarket or once we discover it spoiling in our refrigerators, studies show that about one-third of the food produced in the United States and globally winds up in a landfill. The climate action nonprofit Project Drawdown states that tackling food waste is actually the most effective thing people can do to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Today, we're speaking with three guests about strategies for cutting down on food waste, such as upcycling and expanded cooking education, which are gaining traction among producers and consumers alike. Our guests this morning are Professor Jonathan Deutsch, the director of the Food Lab at Drexel University in Philadelphia. Professor Deutsch's research focuses on food sustainability and waste reduction. Hello, Professor. Hello. Glad to be here. And Amber Stott, the founder, CEO, I love this next title, Chief Food Genius at Sacramento's Food Literacy Center, which is a nonprofit focused on educating families and kids about nutrition. And she's the host of the Raising Kale podcast. Hello, Amber. Hello. Thank you for having me. 
And Yuka Nagashima, she's the executive director of Food Shift, a nonprofit based in Alameda, which is focused on solutions to reduce food waste, feed communities, and provide jobs. Good morning, Yuka. Hi, thanks for including me. Thank you, all three of you, for being with us today. We have a wealth of experience and expertise among the three of you. Really looking forward to diving into this topic. Professor Jonathan Deutsch, if you could start with us, could you lay out for our listeners what exactly food waste is and how it happens? Sure. Um, One of the important things to distinguish is between food loss and food waste. Um, Some food is um, not usable as part of the natural um, process of, um, you know, harvest and cultivation, uh, and distribution, uh, and that's considered food loss. Um, food waste tends to go beyond that. And that's food that would be perfectly good to eat. Um, but for any number of factors along, uh, anywhere along the supply chain, um, it's not eaten for, for one reason or another. Uh, And by some estimates, um, between a third and 40% of food that's produced is never eaten, um, owing to food loss and waste. Uh, A lot of that is preventable. Um, It's it's really important to note that some amount of waste is is healthy in any system, right? I I think the pandemic um, and supply chain issues underscored that. We need a little bit of surplus to have the agility to um, deal with unexpected, you know, storms and um, other other events that might might impact the supply chain, um, but I think anyone would agree that thirty three to forty percent uh, surplus is is much too much. Would you have a target for us of where you think that should be? Um, I would say a, a few percent, maybe around 10, uh, would be, you know, resilient, but, um, but not excessive. Um, and the, the climate impact really comes in the fact that we're producing all of this food um, that never gets eaten. Uh, and then also, so, and, and agriculture is a large consumer, our largest consumer of, of fossil fuels and water. Uh, and then we have the additional steps of needing to dispose of it rather than metabolize it. So we have we have waste sort of in, in the production and in the disposal. Yuka, this has obviously been an ongoing problem for several decades now, and it's a growing problem. Why haven't we seen much progress on reducing food waste? That's a great question. I, I think it has to do with our habits and our comfort zones. And um, speaking to what Jonathan was saying about the need for um, food surplus, of course, we buy a little bit extra because we want to to be able to have the the flexibility at home. But it's not really surplus when we buy in bulk, really knowing that we're not going to use, you know, two gallons of milk. And it's really hard for us to, in this culture, hard, hard for us to, really wrap our heads around uh, surplus is bad. Mm. And that's, you know, there's, for example, in Japan, there's a concept of motainai, which means it's sort of like a regrettable tone that says like, oh, that's, that's too bad, you've wasted it. And that sentiment goes throughout, you know, like the packaging, things are smaller, um, and here things are bigger, and that's good. And so we need to kind of undo some of the things that maybe planet-friendly food is not about just buying organic uh, and just being able to recycle or compost, but rather like really thinking through what's the highest and best use. 
and um, and really owning what you purchase. And because it's not just the industries that are wasting, like you said, it's all along the supply chain. And the largest category of waste wasters actually are in the households. So household is the largest category of um, producing food waste. You know, that's interesting. It's a question I was going to bring up a little bit later, but let's dig into it now. What percentage of food waste is at the agricultural commercial level and what percentage of it is is waste from our households? You could, why don't you start with that? And then if we could go to John. Yeah, John can uh, address the, the agriculture. For the household, it's over 20 percent. And I think that's the largest uh, category. All right. And John, yeah, I've heard I've heard numbers between 20 percent and 40 percent. And I'm, I'm curious if you have any sort of absolute numbers or that you can put on this for us to understand how much of this problem is at the agricultural commercial level. Sure. The, the vast majority, about half of all the waste happens at, from retail through consumer and, and post consumer. And that that can range from, you know, that that half bunch of cilantro that was in your in your fridge left over from you know from your guacamole last week to um, plate waste in restaurants um, to kids who are required to take certain components for a reimbursable school lunch and put that right into the trash mm. um, that's where most of the waste is happening um, the the food and agriculture industry is pretty efficient because they have to be pretty efficient you know margins are slim and um, what what we tend to see is that at the agricultural level and, and the plant level at, at farms and warehouses, um, you have relatively small um, percentages. Uh, it still adds up to large amounts, and it's it's jarring to see, for example, truckloads of product that has a little typo on the label um, being thrown out, and it's it's emotionally um, devastating to watch that. Um, but as a, in terms of the, the um, percentage of food waste, it's relatively modest at the farm and manufacturer level, uh, and the quality of that waste tends to be high, so um, it can be used for other purposes. Um, one of the challenges with retail and consumer is um, it, there's a lot of it, and it, it's um, very diverse in its quality and composition, right? So. Um, you know, in a restaurant, for example, once that food leaves the dining, the kitchen and enters the dining room, um, it needs to be consumed or taken home by the guest. It can't be reused. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas um, in a hotel or at a food manufacturing site, um, there may be opportunity to take food that would otherwise be wasted and add value, upcycle it, you know, do other things with it. And Amber Stott, you're the uh, CEO of the Food Literacy Center. I'm sure you're chomping at the bit to get in here because your work is all about educating families and kids about nutrition and about sustainable food production. Um, How has that work been for you, especially over this past year of COVID? Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a challenging year and oftentimes in the population that we serve, we're working in low-income elementary schools. We get our food from the food banks, and that conversation is certainly tied to food waste. And, you know, uh, my staff and I have spent many hours sorting through uh, pallets of strawberries or potatoes, uh, sorting out the bad ones from the good ones so that we can teach a cooking class or 
you know, send things home with families. And so it's, um, it definitely boils down to skill set and knowing not only what to do with some of these um, fruits and vegetables, but also even knowing what they are. You know, mm. we've seen distributions where um, folks were hesitant to take items because they didn't really know what they were or how to prepare them once they got home. And we do know that we have two generations of Americans that don't know how to identify and cook with fruits and vegetables. And then also fruits and vegetables are about 40% of the foods that we're wasting. So uh, this type of education is really critical. And the population that typically ends up with this sort of uh, food that's at the the end of the quote unquote food waste chain. I think you know the dignity um, needs to be taken into that conversation as well. Yeah, and I find it fascinating that food waste continues to be growing alongside increasing food insecurity. I mean, as we emerge from the pandemic, we're talking about eight million Californians, twenty percent of us facing serious concerns about getting enough food. Amber, yeah, we absolutely have seen our country go back about 30 years. We have the highest rates of food insecurity that we have on record since the 60s. And, um, you know, we had been making progress. So we're definitely seeing long lines of folks um, that, and, and they are actually very interested in having fresh fruits and vegetables. They do want to have a lot of healthy food. And so, um, you know, these things are, um, conversations that are wrapped up in each other, for Mm -hmm. sure. Yep, absolutely. Everything, there's a lot that goes hand in hand, a lot of overlapping complexities here. Well, as we go into this quick break, we want you to stay with us because coming up next, we are going to talk about some remarkable solutions. The food industry and consumers have really been looking at this issue of food waste, figuring out new ways to get our arms around it and to reverse the problems that we're seeing. So we're staying. We're talking now with Jonathan Deutsch, the professor and director of Food Lab at Drexel University, Amber Stott, the founder CEO uh, of Food Literacy Center in Sacramento and the host of the Raising Kale podcast, and Yuka Nagashima, the executive director of Food Shift, a nonprofit focused on solutions to reduce food waste, feed communities, and provide jobs. We want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on food waste and how to reduce it? What are the strategies you use to eliminate food waste in your own home? Stay with us. Forum will be right back after this short break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
Hello and welcome back to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens filling in for Mina Kim today. We are talking about food waste today in our system, and we're about to start talking about some incredible innovative solutions that people are finding to reduce and eliminate food waste. We'd love for you to join the conversation. You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And uh, Jonathan, I'm going to start with you again. You, as the director of Food Lab, were part of the discussion coming up with this new term, upcycled foods. And there is now even a certification process for a food to be called upcycled. Could you tell us about what that is? Sure. Um, Upcycled foods is by no means a new phenomenon. It's really taking um, all parts of the food, including um, foods that would otherwise be wasted. And that could be um, anything from uh, ugly produce in a secondary market to, um, you know, something that's left uh, in a a machine like juice pulp and um, finding value-added solutions for that. Um, and of course, many foods historically have ha- have their roots in using all parts of of the plant or animal. I mean, if you think of something like a hot dog or a sausage, right? It's it's making sure that, uh, or even a vegetable stock, right? Making sure that uh, every little bit of that food is is preserved. Um, but over time, with our um, specialization in the supply chain and manufacturing we see a lot of opportunities um, to take really valuable nutrients and and get them back into the food supply. Um, A a great example would be um, uh, beer brewing. For example, um, beer uses a a lot of grain. Grain is is pretty intensive uh, to grow. And um, like uh, many, um, many beverages, what you're really extracting from that beer is uh, is the sugars and, and starches, um, the carbohydrates, and left at the end of that, that beer brewing process is a very protein-rich, fiber-rich grain um, that in some cases is um, used for animal feed, in some cases is composted, uh, and in some cases is uh, actually just discarded with the conventional food supply as, as landfill, um, and really could be put to, to greater use um, because so many of us uh, need more protein and more fiber. Uh, and this is, this is great nutrition and great flavor. And we have uh, an example of that on the line. I just want to um, go to a startup incubator with Rusty Schwartz, the founder and CEO of Kitchen Town, who's on the line now. Uh, Kitchen Town is based in Silicon Valley, and it's working with Berea Pasta, or is it Barilla Pasta, to create new upcycled foods? Rusty, you're on the line. Thanks for joining Forum this morning. Thanks a lot. Um, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. And, yeah, at, at the Kitchen Town Incubator, um, which is here in the Bay Area, um, food waste is definitely a major focus of many of the startups we work with. Um, and it's also the focus of um, an accelerator program we have with, with Barilla. Barilla has um, huge um, you know, uh, a side stream issues with the, the massive amounts of pasta that they make. Um, and, and they're also a huge baking company. Um, so they're looking for solutions too. And 
Um, you know, it's if I could interrupt like, you for a second, Rusty, yeah. could you explain that term when you say sidestream issues? Is that the food waste in the system? Yeah, exactly. Um, for most of the, you know, the, the food that we eat, the packaged food we eat, especially from big companies, there's something that's wasted during that process. Um, you know, for example, with Barilla, um, you know, spaghetti that we think of as long, straight strands of spaghetti, the way it's manufactured, actually, there's a little curve at the end from rollers that it's on. And that little tiny curve that might be just a quarter of an inch long is actually cut and wasted and ends up being what they call pasta regrind, but they don't really know what to do with it. So um, as Jonathan was talking about, a lot of this stuff ends up as pig feed, which is not the best use of something like that. So these are these are big challenges, and, and they're throughout the entire industry. Um, so so that's, just, that's just one example. Do you all have a solution for those spaghetti ends? Yeah, well, that's exactly what we're looking for. So we're running an accelerator program and, and we're, you know, we're out there looking for startups who, who have the, you know, they, they've got the ingenuity and they've got the best solutions. So we're, you know, we're combing the, the world for, um, for the, right, uh, the right startup company that, that will take that challenge and, you know, come up with an upcycling idea for that pasta regrind. Um, another another example I can give you, you know, I don't know, you know, if you've seen that those, uh, uh, you know, the white bread uh, sort of sandwich points, if you will, um, that have no crust on them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're super common in Europe. Um, and so the way that's made is actually the bakery makes that bread um, with the crust on it, but they cut all the crust off. And again, that goes to pig feed. But it's it's hundreds of thousands of tons of these ingredients. So, um, you know, solutions are out there. Um, startups are coming up with them. And, um, and so, you know, again, I might make a shameless plug for um, the fourth Good Food Makers Accelerator, um, which has a circular economy challenge for startups interested in upcycling these, these different side streams. So um, hopefully if there are any interested listeners out there, um, that they'll, they'll apply at goodfoodmakers.net. All right. Thank you so much, Rusty. We appreciate your call. Amber, do you have a favorite upcycled food uh, that you can buy that's already made? Um, so in our cooking program, we're making everything homemade from scratch. But actually, Jonathan had mentioned the uh, the used grains from beer and there's a company in the bay area i believe called regrained and they have great granola bars and i'm i'm actually a fan of those but yeah we do uh scratch cooking so we're making things like carrot top pesto and we talk about um plants that are thirsty and use a lot more water uh and we talk about things like cactus and how you can eat cactus and how good it is for both the planet and for your health Mm. uh and then we also do things like um flavored waters where when you chop the green tops off of the strawberries there's always a little bit of strawberry there you throw that in your water and then you have a little bit of strawberry flavored water hmm right yuko what about you some do you have some innovative ideas you'd like to share with us about reusing and upcycling foods within our own homes sure within our own homes um as as Amber mentioned, I think carrot top is a great idea. You know, we think of like you would buy parsley when really if you just buy a whole carrot with the fronds on, the top could really serve as parsley. And so it's about 
looking at a recipe and then sort of decoding it as a template instead and being able to substitute and being able to be flexible. Another thing that we didn't talk about yet is storage. A lot of things we don't do a good job storing at home, and so they uh, they go bad faster. And just with a little bit of blanching at first and then cutting it up or prepping and freezing it, you can have a lot longer shelf uh, sh- uh, life, uh, usable life. So, for example, if you have if you go to a farmer's market or if you buy something in bulk and you have a lot of red peppers, just go ahead and roast them. You know, leave one that you can eat raw, but go ahead and roast the rest. And they freeze really well. You can um, if you if you're not. Uh, if you're worried about jarring or uh, canning, you can just go ahead and roast it and freeze it. Thank you for that, Yuka. Andrew has written in, one thing that is very easy for us all to do is to advocate for our employers to limit overbuying food for events. I work in construction and have worked in a lot of commercial restaurant and hotel kitchens. The amount of half-eaten trays of bagels and cream cheese and smoked salmon and veggie plates that I saw being tossed out broke my heart. And another listener who grows vegetables has written in to say, I grow vegetables in my garden to eliminate food waste. I've learned how much to I've learned how much to grow so as not to have too much. Neighbors will always accept extra fresh produce. Um, Jonathan, could you talk to us a little bit about the excess that is within our food industry system, that's within the restaurants and the grocery stores, and why so much of that is thrown out instead of donated? Yeah, um, great, great questions. And and there's a lot happening in this area. Um, Part of the reason there is so much excess is a consumer education issue. Consumers want a lot. Um, and if they're educated and, and told um, that they don't necessarily need all of it right now, um, they're usually very accepting of that. So um, to use the bagel example um, that, that your listener wrote in about, um, the, the World Wildlife Fund um, did some work with, with IDEO around hotel catering to address exactly this issue. And one thing they did was rather than um, one of the reasons uh, food isn't donated more from restaurants and hotels is that once it hits the customer and the customer could have handled it, uh, it really uh, has to be consumed or, or taken home. It can't be returned to the kitchen for food safety reasons. So a really good and simple solution is to for things like bagel and lox platters or cheese, you know, cheese displays at events if those are plated and served in small portions and you can let the guests know, you can have as many bagels as you want. If you want to eat 10, you can take 10. If you want to take a couple home, that's fine. But I'm going to give you one at a time and everything that hasn't been served could then be reused or donated. Uh, it's a great strategy and and we're, we are seeing more and more um, facilities do that. Um, there's a, a common misconception that um, restaurants and hotels either can't or don't donate that much. Um, it's really not true. They're, um, there's, um, they're protected from liability um, through something called the Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Act, which dates to uh, 1994. Um, so um, restaurants and are free to donate to a, a nonprofit that, that feeds people. Um, there are some logistical challenges 
associated with that. You know, if you if your restaurant um, closes for the weekend at, at Saturday at midnight, you know, finding someone to take uh, the, that food until you reopen on Tuesday for dinner uh, can be a challenge. Um, but but those solutions definitely exist, and um, tech has really helped uh, make it easier for for all of us to find people who need it. And we have some chefs who are listening in. I'd like to go to one that's calling in now, Nikong from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, Chef Nikong, you're on the line. Hi, thank you. I was just, you know, I have worked on a pretty large food waste project for a large uh, CPG company. And one of the ideas that we came up with that we cannot use is really changing the relationship of the diner with the leftover, right? So many of us feel bad about throwing the food away in the service to take it away so we instead we have it in the box and take it home and throw it away a week later we all seen that you know push to the back of the refrigerator what does it look like if the diner if the server can come to the table and says you know man sir i see you have a little bit of food left over it's really not enough to make it into a lunch can we offer you a cup of soup or you know a, a side salad you know and a piece of bread you know at, at cost of the restaurant to make it this into you know a, a lunch or snack for you, right? So now everybody wins. The restaurant gets to move more product that might be data, you know, FIFO, first in, first out. The diner gets to look forward to the whole, you know, dining experience and fond memory once again. So that was just a thought, and I hope that, you know, somebody can take it and run with it. And, you know, being a chef, this is pretty close to my heart. So thank you all very much. Thanks for your call. I appreciate it. Uh, Amber, let's talk a little bit about what consumers can do with food that is wasted? Because we typically think, you know, perhaps you can compost it. Um, perhaps you can make it into leftovers. How much does composting, let's just go to that piece where you feel like, all right, I'm done with this food. I don't have anything else to do with it, or I don't can't think of anything else to do with it. I am ready for it to leave my home. What are the impacts of composting food? Is that the solution? composting is important and we certainly want to do it, but I would say food waste prevention is the bigger aim. And that is where the education comes in. And like folks are talking about this big percentage of food waste that's happening in the home by consumers. And and part of what we see, especially when it comes to fruits and vegetables, um, is that folks will get excited and say, oh, I think I'm gonna, you know, start eating healthier, or they go to the farmer's market and everything is so pretty. And they come home with just too many. And they then realize, oh, I also don't really know what to do with everything I've got home. So we actually at Food Literacy Center encourage folks to actually make a sort of a game for your family of exploring just one new piece of produce every week and let your kids pick it out. So maybe one day it's one week it's radishes and maybe the next it's bell peppers and maybe the next it's a type of kale and make it your goal to taste that fruit or vegetable, figure out one way to prepare it Um, And maybe you're just tasting it raw. Maybe you're dipping it in a hummus. Maybe you're looking up a new recipe and you'll end up discovering some new favorites. And that way also you won't feel so intimidated by your refrigerator and let it all just sort of go to waste. Mm -hmm. And we do have some callers on the line with their tips as well. Let's start with Sean in Danville. Hi, Sean. Good morning. Yeah, my tip is to wrap your vegetables in a paper towel 
and then put it back in the plastic bag that you brought it home from the grocery store. It keeps vegetables fresh for up to two weeks if you change the paper towels once a week. You can even take a bunch of paper towels and put it in your salad bag, and it'll keep your salad fresh for two weeks. That's great. Thank you. And Frank from San Francisco, more tips. Apropos what uh, I just heard, uh, drying things out, and I found that uh, limes would often get uh, moldy slice the outer rinds, not through the, the white part and on both ends. And then uh, if you put them in some uh, moving air current, they'll dry out in months, a month later. The hard rind can be like, totally solid like leather, and inside is beautiful uh, pecans and sweet lime juice. Uh, also, like when you bring home broccoli, if you're not going to get to it, just cut the florets off and eat those, mm. and then you can... Uh, or the stems later. Uh, milk can be uh, converted into paneer cheese by adding some lemon juice. Uh, and, uh, oh, fruit. If you have fruit that's going bad, uh, put it in a small pot, a little bit of sugar, some lemon juice, and make a fruit compote over it. Basically, drying stuff out and, and recooking it gives it an extra lease on life. Thank you for those ideas, Frank. And a listener also writes in, at our house, we'll cook and keep some ingredients separate, like rice, steamed vegetables, or braised tofu that can be combined into different meals later. We're talking today on Forum about food waste, upcycled foods, recycled foods, and how to eliminate that food waste from our homes and from our food system overall. Our expert guests today are Jonathan Deutsch, the professor and director at Food Lab at Drexel University, Amber Stott, the founder, CEO, and host of Raising Kale podcast and the Food Literacy Center in Sacramento. And Yuka Nagashima is the executive director of Food Shift, a nonprofit in Alameda focused on solutions to reduce food waste, feed communities, and provide jobs. You're listening to Forum. My name is Priya David Clemens. I'm in for Mina Kim. And we would love to hear from you. What are your thoughts about food waste and how to reduce it? And what are your questions about the food production system? And especially, what are your strategies to reduce food waste? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Stay with us as we come back. We're going to be speaking about how we can reduce greenhouse gas emissions significantly by reducing food waste. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens in for Mina Kim. We're talking about food waste and we're turning now specifically to the issue of food waste on our environment. 
Project Drawdown, which is a climate nonprofit, says the most effective thing we can do to reduce greenhouse gas emissions is to reduce food waste. I want to go to the phones now to Cecilia Flores, who runs a company called Weeby that is developing technology that will directly reverse global food waste and positively impact lives. That's their mission. Cecilia, could you tell us about what happens to food as it's wasted and it goes to landfills? how that then impacts our emissions. Yeah, so the impact of food waste in the manufacturing and agricultural activity is pretty vast. So even though some of the inefficiencies don't often happen, when they do, the impact is is super extensive. It's not just um, getting uh, rid of all the food that has been produced and for some reason cannot be commercialized, but it's also the use of natural resources to produce food that goes to waste. So soil, soil condition, water for irrigation systems, and, and so on. So that's on the agricultural side. And the, on the manufacturing side, you also have the extensive amount of energy used for producing a food that has to get away. For quality reasons, if there's any anomaly within the production line, all the food that has been involved in that process has to be um, discarded. So it's, it's a massive amount if you look at it. From both, you know, for the environment itself and then also for the producer because they have used many materials to produce that, that food that cannot reach the customer table. So the food industry in general is very much driven by visual control uh, processes, uh, either in, both in manufacturing and agriculture. There's many processes that are being handled by visual control, and that leads to a lot of inefficiencies that could be prevented by the use of technology. And that's what we're trying to, to do at our company. So let's get into that a little bit. I'd like to hear more about what that technology is that you're developing. It is stunning to me that 10% of our greenhouse gas emissions are directly linked to food waste, to the food that goes into our landfills, is then sort of covered and pressed down. It doesn't have a chance to, to decompose in the same ways. And it builds up this methane, which then is very, very problematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that uh, technology can be very useful. One of them is adding to those visual control processes that are very often managing in manufacturing environments by adding sensors that are super low cost and non-intrusive. This is important for, for both agricultural producers and food manufacturers because non-intrusive is something that makes technology affordable from uh, a financial standpoint. And those sensors can give them visibility, right? They can be monitoring critical conditions such as temperature, humidity, vibration, they could be helping them do preventive maintenance so they avoid a machine downtime that will end up on, on food, uh, food waste, right? So all of these um, sensors and controllers that could add visibility, really what they, what they do is give the, give the producer the data so they can act upon it. They can receive real-time alerts, they can create their own dashboards, everything with a simple setup and, and avoid those you know, visual control-driven inefficiencies and, and blind spots. And let me give you a specific yeah. example. So if you have a coffee, manu- um, sorry, a chocolate manufacturer that has uh, a boiler that is very much sensitive to temperature, uh, if they don't know that there is an anomaly in temperature, then they have to discard the whole production. So with a very simple sensor, they can get an alert and prevent that from happening. Same thing in agriculture, like um, let's say the coffee producers lose 1.27 million pounds of coffee every year because they cannot detect infestation fast enough. So, you know, we're monitoring with a simple leaf sensor uh, detecting temperature, humidity and all the conditions of the tree so they can act 
before the infestation gets uh, the whole production destroyed. So Cecilia. it's super simple. Yeah. yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate this I, the information and the knowledge that you're sharing with us and also the ideas, which really show us that there are monetary incentives here as well for the production companies, as well as for us, right? If we're at home and we're wasting our food, we're losing money doing that. I'd like to go to the phones now. Let's start with Maria from San Francisco. You're on the line, Maria. Having this conversation, um, I run a food recovery program here um, in the peninsula and Santa Clara area. And, and you know, what we use is we're using an application called Chow Match um, that helps us connect our donors with our volunteers to help pick up the food and drop off at the recipient. So everybody is aware of the food that's coming, that's being donated, and what kind of food that they're getting in real time. And, you know, the, the amazing thing about technology is it's here to help us um, to recover the food. And if we can just use technology and see the importance of it, I, I think we can definitely address the more immediate issue of um, food insecurities here um, in the Bay Area and throughout the United States. Um, Child Match right now is being used in over 600 cities throughout the United States, um, and it's being used by various different groups, not just a food recovery group. It's used by gleaners, it's used by counties, it's being used by food bank um, in, in you know, different areas of the United States. So I just wanted everybody to know that there is applications out there that are available. You know, from, from neighborhood to neighborhood, you have, you know, um, applications like Olio. I mean, there's so many different applications out there for us to reach out to to help us with food waste. Um, in terms of just a personal um, personal um, experience, I know in you know in every culture, when we are dealing with food waste, our parents actually have modeled how to use all their leftovers. In my culture, it's like whenever we had leftovers, we made fried rice out of it. I know mm-hmm. it's something that everybody mm-hmm. thinks of, right? I mean, we either make fried rice or you can you can make a noodle dish out of it if you had a vegetable leftover. I mean, there's so many things. And one of the things that I just recently heard was somebody said to me, oh my goodness, those produce are wilted. And, and because of that, I'm not going to use them. And I said, no, wilted produce all means it needs hydration. You can make soups out of it. I mean, that's so many different things you can use with yeah, all your yeah. produce, right? Um, and so that's just a suggestion for repurposing food. Thank you so much, Maria. We appreciate that call. And it it touches on something Yuka said earlier, this sort of feeling of disappointment that um, there's a specific term for. Um, that, yeah, say it again, Yuka. Motainai. Yeah. M-O-T-T-A-I-N-A-I. Over, over wasting food. Yuka, um, what are your thoughts here on food recovery? Yeah, I I appreciate the caller's um, mention about Chow Match app and other technologies. There are many technologies that can be inclusive and help the, the curb the food waste. There are others that actually could accidentally amplify it because not knowing what food you're going to get, for example, like if you're just getting a goodie bag with sort of surprise things that the the vendors didn't want or was too, uh, for whatever reason, couldn't sell, then we might end up with things that are not culturally appropriate for that person. Um, For example, when we do food recovery, 
we get we get like crates of, for example, ap- uh, say apples, which are great fruits to give out because they're sort of handheld. But you wouldn't want to give that to, say, uh, a senior homes, uh, you know, lo- low income senior homes um, facility because then the apples are too hard for them to eat. Mm-hmm. So really understanding and appreciating what everybody needs and and what they want. I think food shouldn't be just seen as a source of nutrition, but it's something that should nurture us a whole. And so that level of like the concept of nourishment, I think it's it's important to understand because food insecurity in this country is not caused by lack of food. It's caused by lack of job security and financial security. And so while it's good to see um, for us to feel good about giving food to others, we have to be mindful that in our interaction, after that interaction, the people who receive the food has to be somehow more liberated than before. Mm-hmm. And if we're the only ones getting, um, you know, happy, rede- redeemed, then that's that's not the right way to do it. So, um, so it's important that, uh, and I hope that people in the the tech uh, kitchen incubator, um, you know, takes that into consideration that this isn't about like you know resolving our savior complex, but how could we sort of nurture our earth and our overlooked talent and and folks who are um, whose potential were shunned because of how our society marginalized them, and to see the potential in everything, including our cosmetically damaged foods that don't get sold. And we see crates of them being composted again or or even put in landfill. And if you think about composting, you know, one of the reasons that we don't prioritize composting, but rather have it for human consumption is because if you're composting, you are creating fertilizer for more food to be generated. Mm-hmm. which we will then waste, you know, 20 to 40% of. So that doesn't make sense, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so again, if you can see the whole picture, have a holistic view rather than just trying to solve one technical thing, um, I think we will get to a better, hopefully we don't re-enter uh, from the COVID, but that rather we will experience um, something different going back with a new set of eyes that, how easily our unearned privileges can be taken away and um, sort of have have better compassion. And, you know, there are many callers who had great ideas and I would encourage them to uh, communicate with us to in social media. We have partnered with Alameda County on food waste curbing uh, called stopfoodwaste.org. We have lots of ideas there, including how to make shopping lists so that we curb food waste, how to store food, how to use seafood as a whole, um, so cook everything of, from vegetable peels uh, for broth and making delicious veggie chips. So lots of um, resources people, there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Dharma has written in saying, I'm the director of the Berkeley Food Pantry, and we pick up lots of food recovery from partner stores in Berkeley and Albany. Stores will give us lots of candy and processed food. We have so much sugar and plastic in our food stream. If we cut down 90 percent of these types of snacks and foods, we would go a long way in improving people's health and helping the environment. And Jean writes in with her tips. I bury spoiled foods in my raised beds. I keep bulk items in clear jars so I know what to buy and what not to buy. 
I freeze all my bread so it doesn't get stale. I plan my meals ahead, so do not buy items that may not be used. These have been fascinating comments. We're talking about food waste. We have several amazing experts on the line with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Priya David Clemens in for Mina Kim. Let's go to the phones again now. John from Sacramento. John, you're on the line now. Yes. Hi. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah, I had a, a quick question, um, and it might be slightly tangential, but I'm hoping it's not. Um, you, there's a, I mean, I see food waste happening at three different levels, and I think your discussion bears that out. Happening after it gets to the consumer, after the consumer's already purchased it, and that's obviously a gigantic problem. And then there's food waste that happens when a producer, for whatever reason, thinks that there's something wrong with the food, and we could argue about that. But then there's a, uh, the third area, which is food that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that could be eaten that gets wasted because there's no one to buy it. And my question to you is, what is the literature? Because I've, I've often been struck by this. What is the economic literature on the fact that this is a gigantic hole in uh, the, the vision of neoclassical economics of prices adjusting to markets and that there being a market-clearing price, because clearly there's not. And, and, it's, and it's a funny situation, because for part of the population, the reason that they're not buying that food is not that they're not hungry, but that it's too expensive, and the price does not go down to clear the market, even though these goods are perishable and they will disappear, and they're actually even dumped before they become unusable. So if there's a part of the population where you know, neoclassical economics is just way off. There is no market clearing price. They just dump the product. And there's another part of the population that's clearly spending the prices too low for them because they throw it out like nothing. Right. And I just wanted to ask, and I, 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 I'm not sure I got your name, if it's Professor Deutsch especially, um, because you're an academic. Um, what is the economic literature on the fact that this is, I believe, this entire issue shows that neoclassical economics is so far off, not just in in this way, but in so many different ways. And John, thank you for that comment. We also uh, have Chris writing in with similar thoughts. Food waste programs at the farm level must deal with the economics of farming, he writes. When prices are high, almost all produce is sold in the market. When prices are low, food is wasted, i.e. dumped into the ground. The farmer can't afford the harvest and transportation costs to get this waste diverted to other uses. The economics on the farm must be factored into a program to make significant difference in food waste. Professor Deutsch. It is to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those are great points. And and there's, as as with a lot of these things, the, the answer is somewhere in the middle. Um, there are promotions and price fluctuations. Food prices change daily based on supply and demand um, at the macro level. At the micro level, um, there are some efforts being made through food tech um, to do just-in-time ordering and last-minute discounting. You can get sort of a mystery box of food from, from various retailers at a discount. Um, but by and large, you're absolutely right. Um, it's, it's not uh, behaving. Pricing is not behaving rationally. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is um, food has never been at as a whole, never been cheaper uh, or easier to produce. And we do have this oversupply. Um, So rather than 
discounting and getting to some um, sort of imaginary uh, equilibrium. It it is easier and more efficient um, for retailers and, and restaurateurs um, to just have that oversupply and then donate it or discard of it after. And a lot of that is consumer demand. We want to see abundance. We um, No one wants to see the last fish fillet at the seafood counter sitting on a big empty tray. We want to see piles and piles of fresh looking fish on ice. Um, and we're willing in, until the, until we as consumers start questioning and pushing back against this oversupply. Um, I think it will continue. I'd like to squeeze in one last call here. Annette from Sacramento. You're on the line, Annette. Hi, um, I have a family of six, and it's down to just two, my husband and I. And I make a very, very conscious effort not to waste food. Um, I can go to the market and buy two hamburgers or two pieces of chicken. Um, I try my best to cook wilted vegetables, like the woman said, um, mixing the leftovers in with pasta or with rice. Um, And I find that having some knowledge about cooking is very helpful in learning how to not waste food. When you've got little containers of bits, what to do with it? How do you turn that into a soup? How do you turn it into a stew? Um, I think there's 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 a lot of, fortunately, a lot yeah. of knowledge out there online. You can watch cooking shows, watch their techniques. Um, I cook down fruit that's gone a little Annette. off and make a compote, put it over pancakes. Thank you for all these ideas that are just tumbling out of you. I appreciate it. There is also great information online, as mentioned before, from our guest, Yuka Nagashima, the executive director of Food Shift, Amber Stott, the founder and CEO of the Food Literacy Center, and also the host of the Raising Kale podcast. And thank you also to Jonathan Deutsch. He's the professor and director of Food Lab at Drexel University. We appreciate all of you being with us today. My name is Priya David Clemens. You have been listening to Forum. Mina Kim is off this week. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.